Hello, everybody. It's great to be here one more time. My name is Gary Fowler, and I am the CEO, co-founder, and president of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in Silicon Valley. I'm a serial entrepreneur with 17 companies under my belt, and I've been blessed to be involved in two unicorns, EVA.ai and Click Software. So today we have a very, very special guest, the deep tech guru, Swati Chaturvedi. Swati has um, um, more uh, deep tech experience than I think anybody that I've, I've met in recent years. It's uh, incredible. Uh, she's an IIT graduate, an MIT graduate, and is a co-founder and CEO of a company called PropelX, has been involved in a number of investment opportunities, and also as a uh, consultant working for companies like Capgemini. So it's with that that I'm going to bring Swati here. Hi, Hi Swati. Everyone. Hi, Gary. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure today. Yeah. I got to tell you, Swati, I had a friend of mine from Silicon Valley, Frody, said, Swati's going to be on the show. She's the one that coined the term deep tech. Is that true? Uh -huh. <laughs> that's uh, that's kind. Um well, yeah, I suppose we were the ones to first start using it. It's not kind of, it's nothing extraordinary in my view, but we started using the term because we had to somehow find a way to differentiate between all the tech startups and, you know, the technology coming out of the labs and so on. Um, so, yeah, we started using the term way back in 2013, 2014 at the MIT Angels and then at PropelX, so. Wow, that's great. I was telling him, I said, Frody, I'm not worthy. It's incredible. <laughs> so, it's great to have you. So tell me, how do you go from Rorke at IIT uh, to Silicon Valley? What's that journey like? Oh, it's long. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have some time today. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll walk you through that journey. Uh, so it has been a long journey, but I came here. I did my undergraduate back in India, of course, like you mentioned, at one of the IITs at Roorkee. And then I came here for my graduate studies. I went to Berkeley. Then I went to MIT for my master's at the engineering systems division. Um, graduated from there, became a management consultant, ended up doing quite a bit in investing as a consultant. So I went back to MIT Sloan to get my MBA which I did in 2011, and I started my journey in investing at that time. And um, I started first with Temasek, where I did my summer, so it's kind of like a quasi-hedge fund. It's a sovereign wealth fund. Um, I worked at Siemens Venture Capital for a bit in Boston. I worked at Exigen Capital, a private equity firm here in San Francisco Bay Area. And having done all that, I realized, oh my gosh, my interest, my passion really is startups not just startups, but companies that are leveraging scientific and technological advances to impact humankind. And that's what I started calling deep technology startups at that time, companies that are founded on scientific or engineering breakthroughs. And the more we looked, the more I felt I, I wanted to participate, be an angel investor maybe. Um, and the more I looked, I went to various angel groups and I didn't quite find what I was looking for because everything was social, local, mobile at that time. Mm -hmm. So I started the MIT Angels uh, here in the Silicon Valley Bay Area, the Silicon Valley chapter. That was the first ever group of MIT Angels, believe it or not. 
Um, and we focus that on deep technology startups. We got a lot of deal flow from MIT, expanded into Stanford, Berkeley, and so on. Um, and we grew that to be one of the larger groups, um, probably the largest in the, in the Silicon Valley Bay area. And now we have chapters all over the country. Um, having done that, I realized, okay, there is a tremendous need here. There is a tremendous gap. Here are all these companies, amazing technologies coming out of the top universities, top research labs, finding it hard to raise financing in their earliest days, right? Um, and that's when I started Propellex as a way to enable these startups to raise financing from accredited investors worldwide. So that's what I do now. Propellex is an investment platform where we um, find all these uh, unique companies. We put them on the platform. Investors can look through them, browse through them, attend our investor calls, ask their questions. Having done their diligence, if they choose to invest, they can do so online. So, so that's what we do. We make it super easy. Um, hopefully, I hope, <laughs> by an online process, minimums are low, $5,000. And as you know, Gary, these days, everyone wants to be in alternatives. So um, that's that's what we do today. Yeah, that's great. So, okay, so you studied technology and policy at MIT. Uh, you did your, uh, you went for your master's. I mean, you got a lot of master's degrees, three master's degrees? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With, I, I got it. Did you just like to study and say, you know, I got to do another master's degree. I've gone down and done Berkeley. Now I got to go MIT. What's that like? Oh, no. Believe it or not, it was life circumstances that led me to MIT because my boyfriend at that time, husband now, was going to MIT. I was like, okay, that's, that's, I should probably figure out ways to join him. So I went there. I applied. I was fortunate in that I was admitted. <laughs> so I went there, but I have to say it was um, it was a changing experience. You know, I think MIT as a place um, is a life changing experience. It it in in every corridor there's something that you learn new about science or the history of science in every in every cafeteria, every building. You know, the buildings are also numbered; they're not named. Uh, so so there's something different about MIT, and it was amazing. So that was my master's, which I truly enjoyed, uh, loved, fell in love with science, discovered a lot, um, and here I am today. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's What's the difference between MIT and Stanford? So they don't have numbered buildings, right? They got yes. You deal with Stanford. I'm just, I'm curious from your perspective, because I have one of my portfolio companies run by a Stanford MBA, Indian Stanford MBA, actually. And I'm just curious, what's the difference? Oh my gosh, Stanford Stanford is luxury, right? <laughs> I, well, MIT's luxury too, isn't it? Uh, oh no, we pride ourselves on our down market appearance. <laughs> you know, I, know. I, I should, uh, I, I, I'm, if you don't know the culture of MIT, that's kind of important that you, you should not be that a little bit shabby. I mean, it's the chic shabby, you know, it's the, the MIT shabby. <laughs> What does that mean? A pair of sandals, but they got to be Birkenstock or what? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Right. I think MIT people are very down to it. Least concerned about appearance, if anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the motto is Metset Manus, which is mind and hand. So it's really about doing things. It's about engineering, creating things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, of course, I've never been to Stanford. I've 
been around it. And I certainly work with companies from there. Truly great, uh, great companies, great atmosphere, great everything. Um, but I know MIT from the inside. So just sharing a little bit that it's really about putting mind and hand together, building things, creating things. That's the motto. So. No, that's that, that's really interesting. And you know, the one thing I got to tell you, I worked up in uh, Boston for a while and spent a lot of time up there. The, there is a difference, the weather. Oh, <laughs> I, can tell you. I, I was going on Route 128. I thought this really sucks. The weather. <laughs> I don't care what schools are there. It really, and you know, come, being out in California, I understand that weather is really truly a driving force of uh, our behavior and having uh, incredible weather, tempered climates, temperate climates is really uh, important actually for me. I guess being a, uh, having Greek, uh, a background is probably I'm accustomed to, but I love it. I don't know about you, but really. I oh yeah, it. for sure. For me, that's why I'm here. That's why I moved to California it was for the weather. And that's why I don't leave it. I mean, I love the culture also now, you know, having been here, I love it. I love, I would never, never go back to the East coast only because of the weather. But aside from that, there is a vibe about the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm, I'm sure you felt it, right? It's, it's about, it's about innovation. It's about startups. It's about exciting new horizons and being fearless and exploring them. So that's what I really love about, about the SF Bay Area. And you meet so many interesting people. Every day, it's someone doing something new. And that's, especially in my kind of line of work, I feel like I meet these amazing people every day. And, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, you never know who you're going to meet. I know when I go down to the Starbucks in El Camino, Tim Cook's in there. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've seen him too. It's like, hi, Tim, how are you? What it sounds like. Or the uh, restaurant in San Mateo that Zuckerberg hangs out at, and I've seen him there. Oh, is, that, is that right? I, that I did not know. Yeah, I, yeah I've seen him and his uh, white Priscilla in there. It's just okay. interesting. You know, it's interesting who you meet and the energy although i gotta tell you right now i'm down in um, my house in palm beach in florida uh -huh. and you know i've been down here for COVID because i decided i was going to ride it out here yeah. but there is there's something going on i don't know exactly what it is but i can tell you there are a lot of interesting people in tech that are coming here and you know partly because of the uh tax issues you know it's a lot cheaper there are no state income tax yeah they're building a community where it'll go. I don't know exactly, but I can tell you there's some, it's, it's incredible. The kind of people that I'm seeing here now. Uh, no, I, I so, so that is one gripe I have against California, which is, I hate, I mean, everything, they're, they're, everything's becoming harder. You know, commute is becoming harder. Getting a house is becoming harder for ordinary people. You know, just, just cost of living is harder. Everything is harder. Well, and taxes are harder. Despite the taxes, schools aren't great. You know, so it, it starts kind of piling up. Um, and that's when you start thinking, oh, yeah, it wouldn't be bad to move to Texas. I've, I've honestly very seriously thought of moving to Austin. And my brother is there. And I've tried to persuade my company and my team members, hey, let's move to Austin. No taxes, no, no state taxes and so on. Um, but uh I guess people are married to the SF Bay Area. What can one do, you know? Austin's nice. I got to tell you, Austin's a nice place, too. Uh, the, the, um, you know, I, I bought this place down in Florida. It wasn't, the intention was not to be here permanently. The intention was to have a place where it's warm. I just got yeah. 
in here during COVID and I couldn't get out. So anyhow. Oh no, I Florida is a happening place. One of our companies is, uh, one of our flagship companies is the number four company on Propellex, you know, um, it's located in Florida. And at that time, I think, you know, when we started Propellex several years back, it was harder to get financing in Florida. I think that has completely changed now. I hear of new hedge funds starting in Florida every day. I'm not sure so much about the venture capital scene for now, but you tell me, you know, I think the VC scene must be picking up as well. But there was this company, you know, doing great things and now highly valued. So they're building a, a robot for dental surgery. Uh, and, you know, for surgical robots are pretty common for orthopedics, but hasn't been done for dental. So we discovered them in Florida. Um, we helped them raise financing from California, actually, initially. Mm -hmm. uh, introduced them to some VCs there. Peter Thiel's Mithril Capital invested in them. Um, and now they're on, on a, on a, they're, they're rising like a rocket. You know, I'm, I'm so happy about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to understand better about the venture capital scene, the startup scene in Florida. I know it's picking up in other places which have tax favorable environments. So that I do think California needs to change or improve. No, I agree with you. I mean, it's picking up. We're, we're doing a lot of work all over the planet now. I'm in Africa, all over Africa, Nigeria. We have an office, uh, Rwanda, Zambia, Kenya, uh, different places. And working with AI companies, by the way. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. And do you see a lot of AI companies emerging from these areas? Surprisingly. I mean, the one thing is you got to, you know, it's like when I first went to Russia, you got to be a little bit brave. I went in the early 90s and it's not for everybody. So mm. I'm not used to that kind of environment. Uh, and I'm not saying that's, you know, always dangerous, uh, that kind of thing, but it's just culturally different and you got to be prepared for it. So, yes, there's a lot of opportunity. There's 1.3 billion people, yeah. uh, you know, and so what we do is we're looking for companies all over the world. And, you know, my, one of the things, one of the reasons we focus on, focus on Africa is that we, you know, that we believe that up, that intellectual capacity is evenly distributed around the world, but opportunities mm -hmm. aren't. Yeah. And somebody's got to make a dent in the universe, a little bit of a difference. And if we can go down and curate companies, not based on entitlement, but based on really finding some opportunities. Yes, it's a little bit different to do it. But yeah, they're there. They're actually all over. That's and impressive. So it's not tapped. And, you know, we want one of the, you know, things being a Santa Clara based company ourselves. One of the things is to go out there and reach out, physically reach out to those folks. We do a lot of uh you know, we go down physically, go down. We're going to Nigeria again in a few weeks to actually present and get tied into the ecosystem. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a vibrant. And, you know, if we can make a little dent in the universe, Swati, I know you, you know, you, we talk about that. But really, if we can make, create some jobs and help people feed their families and use the technology, as you said, the, you know, your, your um, MIT uh, motto, it's really about how can we make the world a better place, you know, through yeah. artificial intelligence and quantum and all that. So, Anyhow, that's where we're going. But this show's about you, and I don't want to waste the time because you got a really exciting. So tell me a little bit about PropelX and the kind of things you're doing and and uh, where do you see that going and the kind of companies that you're working with today? Yes, absolutely. So like I said, PropelX is an online investment 
platform. We enable accredited investors worldwide to invest in startups online, and our focus is deep technology startups. So typically, our companies are, <clears throat> they come out of labs, they're based on years of R&D, very often funded by the government. So believe it or not, and I know I think Silicon Valley disregards it or writes it off or takes it for granted, but the government is the seed funder of America. You know, and most of our companies, most of the deep tech companies are backed by the government at their earlier stages. So that, I, I find that very impressive. I think that is a fact that needs to be out there. People need to know that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so whether every department has their own SBIR program and, and they, they invest in these companies collectively about two and a half. Three about the FBIR because not every, I have viewers from all over the world. They don't, they oh, don't. so the SBIR program, that's the Small Business Innovation and Research Program. Okay. Every uh, government department, whether it's Department of Defense, Department of Energy, all of them have a budget and a portion of the budget is expected to go into R&D and they use that to invest in these companies. So collectively, the government invests about two and a half, three billion dollars every year um, in, in small companies, small businesses like this. Uh, so they support these companies through their initial phases at universities, at accelerators and such. And when these companies are ready to commercialize, even then, uh, through the phase two programs, the government gives matching funding. So if the companies are able to raise uh, private financing, the government gives 50 cents to the dollar in funding, in many cases, di different programs. So we, we get a lot of companies that have been backed initially in the initial stages by the government, but also from a lot of referrals from venture capitalists. I mean, that's our main uh, source of high quality deal flow. We love to work with VCs. Um, and we also work quite a bit with corporate VCs. So we start, we do everything from seed or stage agnostic. It's a platform. Our job is to connect these deep tech companies that want capital with the investors, right? Um, so we work with VCs of all stripes, smaller venture capitalists who refer us deals. So let's say it's a $3 million round, initial seed round, small mm -hmm. round. You know, they'll put in the $2 million, we can top it up. Same way. It goes on, Series A's, Series B's. We work with a lot of corporate VCs. Um, we just closed a round in a company led by Omron Ventures. Omron, you may know, is one of the largest medical device companies. Yeah, I've had a discussion with them recently myself on some. There you go. There mm -hmm. you go. So this was a Series B round for a company that was um, that helps you figure out whether each individual is antibiotic resistant or not, right? Mm -hmm. uh, medical. Now, the, the problem that they're solving is that normally it takes days for these tests to happen uh, mm -hmm. and for the doctors to be able to prescribe the right kind of antibiotics. And, and mm -hmm. this company can help you do that in a matter of a day, in hours rather than days. Um, so, so that is a breakthrough technology company that we help finance. We've worked with other um, corporate VCs and so one of our companies was a data com sensor data company. So they preserve data integrity of all sensors. As you may know, everything is IoT today, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine a utility with so many endpoints and each of them has sensors in it, which are collecting data, collecting information every day uh, about usage. And that is pretty sensitive information. Mm -hmm. um, and it has happened that these data streams have been infiltrated and uh, faked and so on. And, and that's how you attack these networks. So this company monitors the data streams 
continuously. And if there's an anomaly, it will highlight that so that you know immediately that something's going on. It may be that the sensor is faulty, but it may be that someone's actually trying to attack your network. So again, so this was Aperio Systems. We did their series seed, uh, and then we participated in their series A as well. The series A was led by National Grid, one of the largest utilities in the, in the country. Uh, so like I was saying, we worked with corporate VCs on the series A's and B's. We love to participate in those rounds, but also early stage, late stage, all kinds. And then we work with all kinds of instruments, starting with SAFE. And I guess there are people from all over the world. So I should mention that the way to invest in a startup or in a startup company, there's different ways to invest. You can just get stock, common stock. That's like the basic thing. Um, but typically, because you're taking higher risk, so you get preferred stock, which means you have seniority and other um, rights relative to common and so on. So we do all kinds of instruments. We've done debt, uh, we've done equity of all kinds, um, and we participate in all kinds of stages. But the key thing is we work with deep tech companies. These are companies that are leveraging advances in science and technology to have an impact on the world, to make our lives better. We just closed one <clears throat> financing round. We're still in the process, so I can't reveal the name of the company, but they're finding ways to to, to uh, create productivity or create fertility in soil without using fertilizers. So it's a way to make our food better. It's a way to increase the productivity of soil, to grow more uh, per, per square meter of soil that we are using. So these, these are the kinds of companies we work with, very proud that they actually go out and have an impact on the world. No, well, you know, it's important. If we look at the population of the planet, it's currently 8.1 billion. By the yes. end of the century, it's going to be 13. By 2050, we're going to have to double the amount of food that we produce yes. in order to be able to food the feed the population. And if you look at you know the the uh, problem with uh, uh, livestock and and um, and po pollutants, right? There's 26 yes. percent of the pollution is from livestock. So if we double it, nothing good's going to happen. So we've got to figure yes. out how to go from you know plant-based uh, protein. And we got to do it sooner than later. So these kind of things, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. We're talking about that. We're talking about the environment and the challenges we have with global warming. We're talking about space and, you know, the, yes. the next frontier, you know, 6 billion Earth-like planets in the Milky Way, 200 uh, trillion galaxies estimated in the universe. I did not know that number. Yeah, I mean, I deal with, uh, I deal with a couple of uh, scientists worldwide and quantum physicists. So we have these discussions pretty regularly. It's very interesting using artificial intelligence, an intelligent assistant be able to. So if you're talking about going to Mars, you know, it's in a year journey. There's all kinds of one is you got medical. The other thing is you've got uh, you've got the mental. Right. It's to be cooped up in a small place for a year is not going to be one of the most yeah. exciting times you've ever had. Yeah. So yeah. European Space Agency's developed some interesting technology, but you're right. You know, look at the world around us. There's 49 zettabytes of data on the planet today. Yeah. If you took a CD yeah. and stacked one on top of another, that would go 35 times between Earth and the moon. And it grows <laughs> at 68% per year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, crazy. So what you're doing is fantastic. You know, I've been saying this for some time too. You know, my background's AI, uh, 34 years worth of uh I came out as a psychologist, a little bit different, but 
you know, it's the time is now. We're inundated with information. Think right. about it. It's funny. So here you are, an MIT graduate, right? Double, triple, double or triple MIT? Are you triple oh, MIT? No, no, only two times. <laughs> okay. I, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. That was to Berkeley. Yes. <laughs> I made a mistake. <laughs> I'm not worthy. I don't know what to say. But you know, if we if we look at it today, I mean, think about it in your own personal cloud. And here's an amazing thing. You have over 300,000 items in your personal cloud. The entire amount of websites in the World Wide Web was 257,000 yeah. in 1996. Your own personal cloud, Swati, is bigger than that. The problem is it's doubling every year. In five years with the Internet of Things, you're going to have 10 million items. Think yeah. about it. how many times a week does somebody say to you, Swati, did you get my message? Where did you send it? Yeah. Your email. Which email address? Did you okay. send it to uh, Propel? No, I sent it to MIT, your EDU address. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, when did you send it? Two weeks ago. Can you resend it, right? <laughs> exactly. Isn't it bizarre? <laughs> and, you know, actually, you know, just, just FYI, I actually developed with one of my companies a uh, tool, but people weren't ready to buy it at the time that would go down and do a Google-like search of all your uh, data repositories. Mm because this is a huge problem. And we are in, you know, in a state of infobesity. And I've been talking about that a lot too. Toffler coined it in the seventies. I use it a lot today because that's where we are. We're inundated. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and there has to be, and that's why AI is coming into its own now because you have so much data to work on. There's so much training data, right? Whatever algorithms you develop, you have enough data and then some uh, to train any uh, any any kinds of AI, so that's why I believe AI is coming into its own. Uh, it used to be all about big data. Big data was the buzzword, you know, just a few years back, maybe five six years. I date myself, but point is that that used to be the buzzword. But now it's about AI because you have that ready to to be used, to be analyzed, to to train your AIs and so on. So it's a big deal. And I do think everything will be very personalized. Already you see, you know, everything from ads are super personalized to you, um, to to everything else in life. Medicine is personalized. You know, I I think a few years back I had looked at um, FDA data. Over 40% of the applications were about around personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. I think that's very, very important because every human being is different. Now you have so much data on genome, right? And every individual's genome can be sequenced now. It used to cost, you know, the equivalent of a trillion dollars to sequence a genome um, a long time back. And now it's, uh, it's you know, what, $1,000, $1,500 on uh, uh, 23andMe. So it's there's a, a vast amounts of data and that has to be harnessed, that has to be utilized for moving us along, for moving us into the better. And I do think there are these big challenges that science can help solve, whether, so I think one big area is health, healthcare. So life science is what we call. The other big area is energy, right? Yeah. The other big area is food and then space, right? So these are the big problems that we have to use science to solve. And, and data is pretty critical to all of them whether it's life sciences, understanding what kind of medications to give people, understanding how they got where they got and how you can change the lifestyle. It's a bunch of things that's, that's going on in life science, especially at the intersection of biology and computer science. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of the innovation is happening. 
Um, same way in, in growing, you know, whether it's food or whatever, there's so much IoT in agriculture. So ag tech has become a thing over the past several years, you know, where every every single irrigation sprinkler is being tracked. And, you know, farming for that out. You know, we're working on drones, we're working on fertilizers, we're working on, you know, from the farm to the table. I mean, the situation is things got to change. Yes. You know, we got to make it more, we got to make it highly efficient. And you're right. It's, you know, I've been writing a lot in Forbes about hyper-personalization and artificial intelligence, the next generation. I've also been writing about not smart, but intelligent assistance. I really think that, you know, you're right on target, but we're, it goes back to the data. The challenge is, we got to do something because the future in a hundred years with 13 billion people on the planet, and then you forecast it forward. You know, the population of, of uh, the world has quadrupled in the last 100 years. Yeah. What people don't realize it. Yeah. And, you know, look at, uh, I worked on a, a weather forecasting with a weather forecasting company. It was uh, uh, Dr. Crick was originally from Caltech, studied at Princeton and did a nonlinear weather forecasting model that looked at weather's patterns over time. And we were talking about global warming in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me it was going to happen. And I was like, yeah, right, Dr. Crick, right. And I mean, I didn't say it like that because this guy's a genius. But I went down through and when I studied the models, it was unbelievable the kind of things that are going to happen. So we got to make a dent in the universe. We got to like, you know, one thing, Swati, I don't know about you, but during this pandemic, you know, we've had to understand not all about um we couldn't even get a roll of toilet paper thanks <laughs> well, that was i will say that was a man-made or whatever an artificially created supply constraint because there was no constraint you know i i think people just kind of it's psychology it's like psychology. Well, you have psychology on one side and then you have just-in-time inventory because part of the problem is you get 24 rolls of toilet paper that don't cost that much to take a lot of stock area right yeah. so there was all kinds of issues then you could talk about meat meat you know production and the challenges around that the supply chain we just need transparency in the supply chain and that's where we start to use artificial intelligence to analyze those kind of things. But you're right about it. What it is is really connecting the dots together. What's happening, Swati, from my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we are connecting. Everything's being connected together as one. So here I am in agriculture. Here's my health. This is kind of things that I need to eat. This is how I can get it hyper-personalized to me. Here's my genes. This is what can be taken out. Um, I remember the beginning of the pandemic, I was asked to be on a panel. There were some discussions between scientists, bench scientists, and artificial intelligence. Why they asked me, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not an MIT person. I'm just a country boy. But they asked me to be in a, on a panel. And I said, listen, if you don't use artificial intelligence and quantum, right, to do, go down through d- drug discovery, and I went down into some detail, you're not going to be able to do it. It takes 12 years to develop a drug. So that I will also agree. Oh, you're so on point. So <clears throat> AI for drug discovery. I mean, it's been a it's been a thing over the since I've since the past ten years since I've been in in this business and before I knew companies that were trying to or scientists that were trying to find ways to to develop um, to, to to find new drugs to identify new drug targets way back when I was at MIT. Mm-hmm. And 
happening today, that's happening. It's just happening with much greater success today. Mm -hmm. These things take time to develop, but that's that's exactly what it is. There's so much data out there. We um, helped an investment one company. So one of the one of the problems you can certainly find the candidates and so on. One of the problems that happens is a, a lot of it is theory in the lab and on your computers and so on, and a lot of it goes wrong in the clinical trials. And that's also where we can change things. So one of the companies we help finance, <clears throat> so Z Predicta, it's called a YC company actually. They grow tissue, like real live tissue, models of tissue, so mm -hmm. that you can create a, a, a live environment out of the body for the drug to interact with and see how it how it would work in that environment, right? So oh, then that's very have, cool. That's really yeah, cool. Because half the things that go wrong are the minute you place it in a live environment, I mean, it's all good in the lab. The minute you place it in a live environment, the drug acts in ways that are unexpected. Mm -hmm. And so now you're taking out even more of the uncertainty from all of this, right? So that, you know, you use AI to identify the right drug targets and, and you're really able to point, pinpoint here's a three instead of the 3,000. You put them into this um, artificial environment, which really replicates the and replicates the live environment, that's when you know, and, and that's when you know that the drugs you're putting into trials, these are more likely than not to succeed, much more likely than before, right? So, so we're, mm -hmm. it's, it's really about leveraging data to eliminate uncertainty, to understand our own environments better and so on. So yeah, I, agree. Right. I, and we, and we, I think we're finally, not only to leverage the data, but to use our art of machine learning uh, artificial intelligence to understand the data and in an unsupervised way to start to do something about it. Because at a point, we're not going to be able to control it anymore. It's not yeah. going to be in our realm because we're going to be, you know, in that state of infobesity that's really beyond us. So we got to start looking. It's very interesting, actually, the future. So, um, you know, I wanted to say we're coming into the top of the hour. It's been fascinating, Swati. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule. I know you got a lot of things going to be on my show today. So in final thoughts, what are your, uh, you know, prediction for the next year for startups, for investors that are interested in deep tech, what do you see happening and uh, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Oh, absolutely. So <clears throat> reach out to me, Swati at Propelex, S-W-A-T-I at P-R-O-P-E-L-X.com. Uh, so that's the easy way to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm not as much on Twitter as on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is, is great for me. Um, in terms of predictions, I think for the next year, we're, we're still not out of the pandemic. So there's a lot going on. You know, in this past year, we helped finance a number of companies that are impacting the pand pandemic, working, helping us work through this. We did a vaccine company, Aegis. They have just started their clinical trials. We did um, a testing company. We did a bunch of remote uh, kind of work companies mm -hmm. that help you put these things together in perspective. There were all kinds of disasters. If you know the California wildfires, we did a company that helps with that. Mm -hmm. So I think these trends, all, at all times, science is solving these problems, right? We identified life science, we identified food, energy, transportation. These are the big problems. And all of these have been exacerbated by this COVID situation, right? So that's the macro trend that is impacting everything that's going to happen in the next year, right? So everything remote, anything that's remote, that becomes important, right? 
mm-hmm. remote work, uh, remote meetings, all of that is, is relevant. Mental health. Anything that's mental health in this situation is important. Um, anything that's still to do with vaccines, especially low-cost production of vaccines to help these countries, like you said, Africa and so on. Low-cost production and low-cost storage. We can't have anything like the Pfizer vaccine, which needs to be stored at these minus whatever degrees centigrade. You know, mm-hmm. it needs so DNA-based vaccines. That's the company we helped um, raise financing for. Why DNA? DNA is super hardy. You can it can survive through eons, millennia, uh, and through through all kinds of temperature and so on. So, so things like that, I think, are still going to be important in the next year. Things to do with life sciences, with healthcare, with mental health, with remote work, um, better quality of video, better quality of audio. All of that will continue to be important, and then. Think about the storage that's going on in the cloud. Every meeting is being now stored in the cloud, mm-hmm. right? So let's think about video analytics, audio. I mean, the 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 we can just keep extending that. So it's endless. So these trends are now really coming to the fore, and I'm excited about our future. You know, because I think um, the I'm I'm very optimistic. I'm very energized by the fact that science has always found a solution, always found a solution to all of our problems. And so I'm optimistic moving forward. I do believe things will be good. I think the next next few years are better than the last few years. No, it's great. And I, I think you're right. You can see it. I, I don't know what it's like in Cal. Actually, I'll be in California on Saturday, but for the first time in a year. But oh. <laughs> so I have my... My car is on the street. <laughs> it's, uh, I get, I couldn't get out to do anything. I so didn't put it in the garage, and it's a, uh, <laughs> and it, thank God it's still there. But uh, anyhow, we have we've been through a lot. You know, the the world's been through a lot. Um, you know, I participated myself in about six hundred podcasts during the uh, pandemic, and part of the reason is to bring some some hope and and just to help you know to connect the uh, startup community around the world together. It's been really interesting. And it's, it's interesting that we, you know, we finally, we don't just look out, we need to look in and we understand our vulnerabilities now with the pandemic, because I don't know about you, but, you know, families get hit. Yeah. Our family got hit with uh, somebody passing away because of COVID. So, you know, we understand that we need to be able to help each other make a dent in the universe and we need to work together. It's not about, you know, just about what it's in it for you. It's about how can we make a little dent and a little impact. And you've said it eloquently today. So I appreciate that. To my audience, I want to say thank you very much for uh, joining our episode today, another edition of GSD Presents, Silicon Valley AI and Tech. My name is Gary Fowler, and I am your host. I will be back again next Tuesday with another exciting edition. And Swati, I want to say thank you for taking time. It's great to see you. I'm going to say to my audience, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. We're thinking about you, and join us again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.